Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Our next guest, he's tackled a couple of few running backs, quarterbacks. He's carried the ball. He throws the ball. Hell, I thought he would end up long snapping on Saturday night as the Beavers uh, were at Stanford late in this game looking for a long snapper. I tweeted, hey, Jack Coletto might be able to long snap, and somebody else, Stanford's Twitter account, said, I bet you Jack Coletto could hold the ball and kick it at the same time. Jack Coletto, the hammer, joining us now. Uh, let's let's play a little game here, Jack Coletto. Uh, growing up. How many different positions in football did you play? Growing up, funny that you asked that. That really wasn't that many. I played safety and I played quarterback. That's it. Yeah. Just two ways. Were you kicking? Were you were you uh, doing any long snapping? Any kind of special teams uh, work for you there? I remember I tried out for kicker once. I ended up toe punching it. I made a PAT, and there was like an elimination thing. So I got to the next round and. Shank the next one, and I didn't become the kicker. Love it. <laughs> Jack, hey, give us an idea of what was that like uh, late in that game. You know, uh, as everybody's watching, you know, Treshawn Harrison, you know, Ben Goldbrinson. What was that like to just be on the field in that situation? I mean, honestly, it was weird because we've uh, we obviously been in that situation before in games past. And I know we didn't really have much time in no timeouts, but I also was like, I mean, we got a good chance here. I, I believe we just do our thing and march down the field, we'll have a shot. And then, of course, a few plays later, that play happens with Trey Sean. It's just like, what the heck just happened? Phenomenal. So. Yeah. Phenomenal uh, finish. I mean, unbelievable. But, you know, evidence and, you know, some people called it lucky, and I, and I stopped him. Jack, because I, I think you make your own luck in this game. I'm glad you stopped them. I don't have to do it for you, but, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's so funny, though, if you think about it. Like, after the game, just watching it, there's so many players where it's like, well, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if they didn't do that? What if we did this? And it's just, they could have gone in so many different directions, but it just turned out the way it turned out. I'm glad it did. Yeah, I mean, you get the W. I think it's tough to win on the road in the Pac-12 conference, but you're right. You you know, if you go back, you know, there's a hell of a uh, touchdown reception by Silas Bolden. There's a hell of a run by Damian Martinez. The defense got a stop on Stanford and fo- forced him into a field goal situation. Looked like you found your zone running game, you know, late in the third quarter and used it throughout the fourth quarter. I mean, there was a lot of things that you guys did on the field to make that outcome possible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and plus with the Silas Bolden catch, it's like, that was on fourth down. It was like fourth and seven. So if we don't make that play, uh, it's a turnover on down. But who knows how the game would have played out. What was the locker room like afterwards? Um, it's so funny. Because obviously everybody was happy and excited, but it's just like, man, we didn't play well at all. 
Yeah. And there's a lot of mistakes and a lot of things to clean up. And the players understood that. We knew that. And we're obviously working on fixing that and getting that dialed in because Washington State is a good team. And we're not going to win if we make those mistakes again. So. Can, can you give me an idea of, you know, I couldn't tell what was happening in the first half. It, You guys looked like you, you were a little bit undisciplined. There were some uncharacteristic penalties. There was some fighting going on. It, it just kind of felt like you guys weren't in rhythm. Like, is there a reason for that, or does that just happen once in a while with the team? I mean, it definitely got chippy early with both sides. And, I mean, I, I don't know. It's probably Stanford there. I'm just that week was being physical. They came out and they were physical. Uh, definitely more so than what we saw on film. And, I mean, hats off to them for that. But it's just it's just one of those things. It's like we move the ball, we do good things, and then we just shoot ourselves in the foot. And we ultimately just can't do that, especially to start the game. And, you know, we rallied in the fourth. And ultimately you need to be able to do that as well. But we can't be digging ourselves in a hole that early. Jack Coletto with us, linebacker, running back, jackhammer.com. If you want his apparel, joins us every other week on this show. Jack, uh, t- explain to us why it's so hard to go on the road in the conference and win. Is it is it the travel? Is it waking up in a hotel? Is it the environment? Is it a blend of that? What What's your philosophy on sort of the, the difficulty of winning on the road? I would... I mean, it's definitely all that. I would sum it up to pretty much the unfamiliarity and the fact that we have to go somewhere else and then play in their place, and then they're familiar with everything they got going on. They have their locker rooms, and they're used to everything around there and what they got going on. And I mean, my philosophy, and uh, actually I think this was my high school coach who would say this, is you always have to play 14 points better on the road. And I completely agree, especially in, with uh, college football and, the, and in the Pac-12, because the environment's changing, whether it's going down to Stanford, playing them on natural grass, or going to the Arizona and the desert, or elevation with Utah and Colorado. It, it's a bit different, and that's why there just needs to be an added emphasis on doing what you can control correctly and making you think- sure your assignment you think 14 points? I said yesterday I thought it was like 9 to 10 points. Like everybody always says 3, but I think it's more. But you think it's even more? I'd say around 14, yeah. It's phenomenal. I'll play points better on the road. Washington, yeah. Washington State's dicey. Uh, they've got a quarterback in Cam Ward. Where he, you know, he, he's looked really good at times, uh, you know, not so good other times, but defensively they're good. What do you see on film when you look at Washington State? Uh, defensively, obviously, yeah, they're, they get after it. They play hard. They're physical. So that will be a challenge for us and and also the scheme they, they do. Um, offensively, I mean, the quarterback can get out of the pocket and he can extend the plays with his feet. And anytime you have a quarterback that can do that, it always presents a, another challenge. So we'll just have to make sure we have a really good week of practice to prepare for that. Do you, does coming off a win, like you get off Stanford, now you get kind of the stretch where you're home for a little bit, and just coming out of that, what does it feel like to get back to practice coming off a win versus maybe you know, what you had a week or two earlier as you're coming off a, a disappointing loss? Oh, it's so much better. I mean, my dad always told me, there's no happy losers out there. <laughs> so, I mean, going to practice on a Tuesday after losing is a lot worse than coming to practice after a win. 
quarterback play. Ben Gulbrinson back there. He looked com- more comfortable uh, with a full week of practice under his belt. What have you seen in that kid? It, you know, in your time at Oregon State, you watched him grow a little bit. I always thought he could swing the ball. It was a really good ball. And then I remember when he first got out, it was 2020 versus Arizona State towards the end of the year, and he got out there. I mean, he, he looked really decisive, good with his reads. I mean, could put the ball wherever he wanted it. And I think he displayed that again when he uh, played against Stanford. I mean, that's just kind of – I mean, what he did um, against Stanford, I – I've seen that during practice, so it doesn't really surprise me, but I'm definitely happy for him. All right. I, I have a theory on something that happened during the game, and I think you are uniquely qualified to to evaluate this answer. So somebody asked me, you know, Stanford late in the game went into kind of a wildcat situation and a short yardage situation with their backup quarterback. They brought somebody else into the game. And I I saw that happening, and I said, I wouldn't do that to Oregon State. They see that all the time in practice, and they see it with a better player back there in Jack Coletto. Do you feel like your first-team defense may get some looks with you in that wildcat or you in that quarterback position in short yardage in practice that may prepare them better for opposing teams that try to run that stuff? Oh, definitely, especially when they line up in similar formations. But it's so funny that during practice, because there's always a bunch of talk back and forth between the offense and the defense. And, of course, I'm in the middle of it because, you know, I'm on defense. So every time, like, they stop me or something, I always have to hear it from the, the defense and all that stuff. But, yeah, just being familiar with it and seeing it all the time, you're obviously going to be able to play it better. It's, it's interesting because there is a personality and an identity to a team's offense and a team's defense, and you're the guy who kind of swings back and forth between those two units, and, you know, you have to navigate it a little bit. Does, uh, you know, when, when you guys meet up, do you obvious, I think you probably go with the defense, right? When they say, hey, defense over here, offense over there, you, you probably walk with the defense until you're called over. I mean, that's one way of putting it. Or I get, you know, tugged on both arms by offense and the defense. You know, it's funny because I always, I always try to figure out what goes on up uh, upstairs with the coaches, and you know, all the time they always tell me they always talking back and forth about who gets me where and when, and they're always uh, you know arguing about it. But it's pretty funny to see it all unravel and unfold. During the Utah game, you got to throw a pass in a game situation. I'm glad that you got that jump pass out of your system. I know we talked about this, but you threw a nice ball. Against Utah, you got a first down on the play. You guys, you know, you came up with a big play there. Uh, you know, how'd that feel for you, playing quarterback a little bit again? Oh, you really had to bring up the uh, the, the jump pass again, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, here's <laughs> what... Those... Here's you know, how... So funny. We went Go ahead. The huddle and we did... Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, we're going to call the, the pass play. I said, all right, sweet, let's see how this works out. <laughs> and, you know, it's all... Um, Anthony Gold, wide open, just peppered it on in there. First down. You didn't float that thing, though. I mean, you put some zip on it. I had to put a little bit of zip on it. I mean, I still got some juice left. Not much, but there's still some juice. The funny thing was, uh, you know, the other writers are up there. You come into the game. I I turned to them, and I said, he's going to throw this. Because you, it was just, it was just time for you to throw one, and they all said he, Jonathan Smith is never going to let Jack Coletto throw again. And I said he's going to throw this, and then you rolled out and you threw it. 
And I said, I told you. And I, I, I'd like to see a little more of that because the defense, you got to do that once in a while to keep the defense honest. Well, I mean, they'll, they'll keep them honest. So, I mean, we'll see, what, we'll see what comes to mind and how things are shaking and unfold. But, you know, it's obviously working. Keep it going. So, All right. Hey, yeah. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, you, you got everything restocked on the jackhammer.com website, everything everything, uh, everything back in stock that people can. Jackhammercoletto.com, by the way, if you, uh, if you uh, want to check out his collection. But is everything back in stock now? We're a well-oiled machine now. We're rolling. <laughs> I love it. I'm on the site right now. All right, Jack Coletto, I appreciate you, man. Keep, keep up the fight. We'll talk to you down the road. Great. Appreciate it. All right, there he is, Oregon State, quarterback, linebacker, place kicker. Might as well keep him out there. It's more trouble for him to run to the sideline than anything. Uh, I think, look, you got to give Oregon State credit. For, there were some people out there, and I think the natural inclination, I don't blame people who said, oh, it was a lucky win, because the game looked lost. But I will caution you. The pass to Silas Bolden on fourth down in the left corner of the end zone from Ben Gulbranson was was a terrific throw and catch. The fact that Oregon State outgained Stanford in the game, and especially in the fourth quarter, um, you know, you got to give Oregon State credit. The fact that Treshawn Harrison kept playing and made a hell of a play when a couple of Stanford defensive backs looked like they didn't know where the ball was, you know, we're not not playing great situational football there. you got to give Oregon State credit. That's not luck. You make your own luck in this game, and you make your own luck in this world. Leave it here. we got uh, the big splash coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I'm on the jackhammercoletto.com website right now. Got his hats back in stock. I like the hats. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, he is uh, donating a portion of the proceeds, 25% of the proceeds, to the Wounded Warrior Project. So jackhammercoletto.com is the website if you're an Oregon State fan and wants to get in on that. Uh, for those of you who are interested in the Oregon Ducks, and I think uh, many of you are. And frankly, if you're not a Duck fan, you should still be tuned into this. But a lot of discussion nationally today that makes no sense to me when it comes to the college football playoff. And this is partly why a four-team playoff is a bad idea. It's not much better than the two-team invitational that we had once upon a time. We now have a four-team invitational. There's no automatic bids. It's entirely subjective. There's a selection committee that will hole up in Dallas, Texas, and decide at the end of the year, you know, who the top four teams are. But there's a whole bunch of propaganda out there right now, and it's annoying to me. It's annoying to me that people are suggesting that a, you know, a UCLA team that is headed into Eugene in a week could go to Eugene and lose, but then recover, go on to win the conference championship, uh, redeem itself, Let's say they beat Oregon in the conference title game in a rematch. Redeem itself and be 12-1 and and be perfectly positioned to be a college football playoff team. I heard that by more than one national pundit in the last 24 hours who is suggesting that a 12-1 and UCLA with a loss to Oregon next week in Eugene 
would be perfectly positioned to be one of the four best teams in America. Now, I'm going to tell you what it's rooted in. It's rooted in the Los Angeles TV market. ESPN in particular, Fox to a certain extent, and some others, are guilty of pandering to the major markets. They do this on a frequent and regular basis. We all know it. I know it because I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret. I guest hosted on those national shows. I guest hosted for Dan Patrick, and I had somebody whispering in my ear, make sure you talk about Los Angeles, make sure you talk about New York, make sure you talk about these big cities because they get mad in those major markets if you're not talking about those big markets. They hear about it. So you know that's happening at ESPN. You know that's happening on all these shoulder programming shows on Fox and FS1 and nationally on Sirius XM and what whatnot. Anybody out there who is clamoring for the big markets is talking about UCLA and USC more than they should. I think it's why you see some of the national hosts who kind of suck up to USC or UCLA now because they know they're doing the same thing the Big Ten Conference is doing. They know where the households are. They know where the bodies are. They're pandering to the market, okay? On this show, we do no pandering. We just do the show. But it's interesting to me that UCLA at 12-1, and 1, and I agree, I think a 12-1 and 1 conference champion in the Pac-12 should be a playoff candidate, a strong candidate for the, one of the four positions. Not one or two, but three or four, okay? Let's be real, being realistic. I do think UCLA, if it goes to Eugene in a week and loses – and then recovers, comes back, wins the conference championship game, I do think 12-1 and UCLA should be included in the playoff. But here is where I differ from the national pundits. I also think 12-1 and Oregon, with only a loss to Georgia, should get one of those spots or should be right there. Like, we still don't know who those other teams are, so I think it's ridiculous to say that they, they are in. And I hear some people going, UCLA at 12-1, and they're in. I don't see that happening. We, how can you say that? You don't know yet. But it's interesting to me that a loss to Oregon isn't viewed as a bad loss. But Oregon's loss to Georgia, albeit 49-3, to would eliminate the Ducks somehow. I said it yesterday. I'm going to double down on it. I think it's stupid. Oregon lost to Georgia. If Oregon beats you, what does that say about you? Like, you know, I don't I don't see the difference between 12 and 1 Oregon and 12 and 1 UCLA. A loss is a loss. Both of those games essentially road games, but one of them coming in week 1 and the other coming in week 7. It's a big difference to me. Or week 8? That is a huge difference to me. I I actually think the 12 and 1 Oregon argument is stronger than the 12 and 1 UCLA argument by a nose. I I I can't wait for the college football playoff to expand to 12 teams. But until we get there, can we put a moratorium on saying stupid stuff? Like things that you don't know to be true. 12-1 and UCLA, can we really say they're in? We can just say they'd be a strong candidate. 12-1 Oregon, can we really say they're in? We can say they're, they'd be a strong candidate. Can we just leave it there and have that be okay? That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the Pac-12 Network is suing. 
The Dish Network, one of its broadcast partners. Apparently, Dish Network is withholding payments and violating the terms of their distribution agreement. Pac-12 seeking damages and injunctive relief to recoup the license fees that Dish has withheld. John Wilder of the San Jose Mercury News reporting this. Uh, according to the lawsuit, Dish pays a monthly fee based on the number of subscribers to the Pac-12 network. The Dish is entitled to a rebate if the network doesn't broadcast a minimum number of games. Typically, that's 36 games. But in 2020, the Pac-12 network showed only one game. That was the COVID season. And so Dish, uh, you know, took the rebate in 2020, but now is withholding. Uh, the dispute is not limited to the COVID season. So it's really interesting to me that Dish's deal with the Pac-12 network caused poor distribution. But now it turns out Dish also isn't paying for that distribution. Pac-12 network locked up with Dish. This is all a migraine. I am told by people who are smarter than me, more connected in that industry than me, that this is something Dish does all the time. They do it routinely. It is designed to help them not have to pay their bill until later. You know how some people will get a bill and they'll stick it in a drawer and they'll go, I, I don't want to deal with this right now. Dish essentially doing that. Pac-12 Network suing them for not paying. That's the big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. Does anybody have Dish anymore? Do you guys have Dish? Do you watch things on Dish? No. Anybody? No. Feels like that. What did, didn't that used to be a bigger thing than it is now? Yeah, to have like a big, you know, I think it's just the, the satellite dish, right? Like that was like the the way to show that you had a lot of money. I feel like I put think, that in your, put that in your front yard. I yeah, think it's very uncommon to have. Not very uncommon, but less and less people have cable now, and more and more people have Fubo or YouTube TV. And Pac-12 Network isn't active there, so that's that's a huge problem. Yeah, I think uh, there are there are, is a looming issue there with Dish, the uh, Pac-12 network, and of course the cord cutters are going to win. It's just a matter of when they go all in. They being the Pac-12 and their distribution rights for their college football games. Uh, the four o'clock hour is ahead. We're going to start with Punch It Audio. Anna will join us. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, still ahead as well. <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.